we've been in this new series called Fan the Flame here in 2 Timothy. We started this a couple weeks ago and just learning from Paul and being challenged really by Paul uh, to fan into flame the, the gift of, uh, of God that he has given us, the spirit that he has given us in salvation, the, the gifts he has given us to use for his glory, the, the passion that we have and the urgency that we have for his mission, all of that. Paul's trying to stir that up in Timothy and also in us uh, as we seek to follow him and to, and to worship him together as his people. And so today we want to press into that even more. Um, and with this the simple idea that Paul brings out here in chapter 2 of remember Jesus. And uh, I, was really, I was really challenged by this this week myself as I was studying, as I was preparing. And I, I, I believe that maybe God has something for you today as well. Um, because as humans, we really are forgetful people aren't we? <laughs> can, we just, can we just all kind of have a little confession time this morning, right? Like we forget to set the alarm at night for the next morning. We forget to send that email or make that phone call. Um, you know, God forbid we forget our anniversary or somebody's birthday or uh, we forget to pay the electric bill. That goes bad um, real quick. Uh, we forget things, right? Um, we forget where we put that thing when we put it in that specific place so we would remember where we put it. Come on, don't leave me alone up here. Somebody, right? Come on, all right? Uh, we walk into a room, like, for a purpose, and then we forget why we came into the room. Um, and it seems like this just is a cycle for us, and it, it gets worse the longer we live, unfortunately. Um, but what I've also noticed is that over time, oftentimes our memories, some memories and stories that maybe deeply impacted us at some point, they also start to kind of fade, we start to forget things that, man, used to be so like, valuable and, and, and impactful for us until some person or some picture refreshes that memory. I'm like, oh yeah, you remember that one time when, when this happened? And God brings that back. You know, there's, there's a medical version of this type of forgetfulness that, that they call amnesia. I'm sure you've heard of that before, which is simply forgetting what we once knew is kind of the context for that. And... It's amazing to me that even if you don't have the medical trauma that causes that, that we, just the circumstances of life, just the things that we walk through, just the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis, how easily they can make us forget what we once knew to be true. Like, I know that I have to get up at 5.30 tomorrow morning and yet, I forget that my body needs sleep, and I still watch one more episode of that stupid show. Right? We just forget things. Like, we know this, but like, it just doesn't register. I know that my wife loves me. But in those moments where I feel like uh, she's hurt me or disrespected me or done something, I forget how much she loves me. I know that God's way is the best for me. But in that moment where that sin that I struggle with time and time again tempts me one more time, I forget that God's way is better, and I step into it again. We come here every Sunday to worship God, to sing songs about the gospel, to pray prayers around the gospel, to listen to sermons about the gospel, and we fill our cup, and then Monday morning comes... And Bob says that stupid thing at work again, or the kid's sick again, or something happens at school, and we forget 
the gospel. We forget all that God has done and all that he is to us and all the grace that he gives because we oftentimes have gospel amnesia. We just forget. Because we easily forget God's grace and truth when we start to drift into the things of this life. Timothy did that. Timothy was struggling with that. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. And so Paul here is calling us out today. He's reminding us, like, listen, remember Jesus to reverse gospel amnesia. He's going to press Timothy here, like, you need to remember these things that you know. You already know them. You need to call them back to mind and focus on them and meditate on them so that you can reverse this forgetfulness that you have in the gospel. So, with that context, let's look at chapter 2, verse 8, and pick up. He starts right there on top of verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Okay. By the way, I don't have anything new or original for you. Okay. I just take the text like, hey, this is what it says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us, And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. First point this morning is this. Remember, Jesus is the risen king. That's what Paul reminds Timothy of first here when he says, remember Jesus. Just Just to clarify, Timothy hasn't forgotten Jesus like you might forget the new person you met at the party. Right? Like he did he didn't forget who Jesus was. He, he didn't forget the gospel in the sense that he needed to relearn it or somehow had to, to go back and, and, and start over. Rather, when Paul says remember, he's saying, listen, you need to recall it. You need to bring it back to mind so you can have the reassurance that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the calling that he's put on your life. See, Timothy was failing to live out his faith in Jesus. And he needed to be reminded of the great truth and power in the gospel. And so he says, remember Jesus risen from the dead. Now that seems like a very simple statement, but Paul uses that statement to pack in a lot of reminding in just those few little words. First, he reminds him of Jesus' death, right? Risen from the dead. If you're going to rise from the dead, first you have to die. And so he's In this little phrase, he's reminding Timothy of all of the gospel story. That although we were lost in sin, God came in the person of Jesus Christ to live a human life and then to go to the cross and to die for us, for our sins. He was sinless, he was perfect, and yet he suffered a sinner's death to pay for the debt that we owed. To cover the sin that we deserve to die for. And he died in our place for our sin, and he was put into the grave. And then, as Paul says here, three days later, he rose back 
to life. That's what makes him our Savior. Because he saves us from the death that we should have because of our sin. So he says, first of all, risen from the dead. So he's reminding him of Jesus' death. He also reminds him of Jesus' deity. Right? Only God. Only God can raise people from the dead. Especially himself. Right? So this is a miracle that has happened. And he reminds Timothy, listen, God's power was in play. It conquered death. It conquered sin. It rose Jesus from the dead. We have a God who is powerful, and that same power lives in Timothy, and it lives in each one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to fulfill the gospel mission that God has given us. So he reminds him of his death, he reminds him of his deity, and then he reminds him that Jesus is distinct. And here's what I mean by that. Do you understand that throughout all of history, Jesus is the only religious leader to ever rise from death and continue to live for eternity. He's the only one. Buddha, dead. Confucius, dead. Muhammad, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Even for the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all dead. Only Jesus is alive. Only he is truly worthy of our worship. And he's calling Timothy back to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Then he gives him a second phrase. It says, and the offspring of David. And in that little phrase, we have three more reminders about who Jesus is. First of all, we're reminded of his humanity. Yes, he was God, but he was also a real man. Born in the line of the great King David of Israel. Like, this is what we call in in theology, we call it the incarnation. Where God came to earth to be born as a man. Which made Jesus 100% God and 100% man at the same time. How does that work? I don't know. Because I'm not God. But it did, and it was true, because God said it was true. And we saw the power of God pulsing through Jesus' life. And yet he walked just like you and I on this earth as a human being. Only our God could do that. Only our God would do that and lower himself to come and save his people. So he reminds him of his humanity. Also in this offspring of David, he reminds him of Jesus' history. That that Jesus is not just some fairy tale character in the Bible. He is a documented man in history. Like outside of the Bible, in historical records. He has a historical lineage that can be traced through the families of Israel. Not only was he a part of history, he was a fulfillment of history. That's actually what the offspring of David really points to, is that a thousand years earlier, before Jesus' birth, it was prophesied that he would come as a son, as an offspring of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down, he's talking to David here, 
with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God said this was coming. And he fulfilled it in the person of Jesus Christ. So he reminds him of his humanity, of his history, and then tied in with this scripture, we can just say, he reminds him, like, listen, hail the king. Like, this is the king. Jesus was the promised king from David who rules over everything and everyone forever. Timothy needed to remember that. Maybe some of us today need to remember who's truly the king. He's the one who's in control. He's the one that we follow no matter what. And Paul's calling Timothy and he's calling us back to this. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, who I preached in my gospel. Timothy, this isn't new information for you. Remember what I've already taught you, what I've already told you. You know this. This Jesus resurrected and reigning as king is a gift to us. It's God's grace to us. And you need to remember this. And he says this, he says, for which I am suffering bound. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know what he's talking about. He's literally bound right now in chains, in prison, as he writes this letter. He's been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I I am bound, I am suffering, but, we love buts in the Bible, don't we? This is where the good stuff happens. But the word of God is not bound. Ever. The truth of God, spoken or written, cannot be bound. It is powerful. It is free. No one can take it from you. Do you understand this? No one can take the truth of God's word from you if you will just remember it. Christians have been bound, literally bound, for their faith for two millennia all over the world. But the gospel keeps going because the word of God cannot be bound. In fact, what we see in history is that it actually spreads further and faster and stronger when they try to bind it. So we and Timothy, we can find assurance and boldness when we remember the unchanging, unstoppable word of God that declares Jesus is the risen king. You know, I was thinking this week, there's a a cross-section of the church. There's a cross-section of believers who are always looking for something new. You know what I'm talking about? They're always wanting some new teaching, some new insight, some new understanding of Scripture. In fact, if if I could confess to you this morning, as a young preacher, I felt that. In my early days, I felt like I always had to bring something new to the table. Like every sermon had to have some new insight or some new thing from Scripture that people didn't know if it was really going to impact them and be valuable. And I think that desire comes from a good place. 
It comes from a heart that really does just want to know God more and go deeper in their faith and follow Jesus. And, but you know what I've found over time? Through pastoring, through preaching, through just walking through Jesus with Jesus myself? If it's new, it ain't true. And if it's true, it ain't new. God has given us everything, all truth, in his word. And guess what? We're not going to be the first generation to find it. There have been too many, too many Christians studying this book for way too long that are way smarter than me. It's not that we're looking for something new. The word of God does not change. The gospel does not change. God is not holding back some special truth or some special revelation for just the right time that he's going to give us something new. No, he said in his Bible, we, in his word, that we already have all we need for life and godliness right here. Often this desire in us for something new in the scriptures is really more about our own pride and our own discontent with God rather than it really is about spiritual growth. When Paul wants Timothy When he wants to challenge Timothy to grow in his walk, to grow in his mission, he doesn't teach him something new. He reminds him of something old. The tried and true gospel message of Jesus Christ. And friends, most of the time when we're feeling distant from God, when we're feeling like we're we're just kind of stagnant in our walk, It's because we have forgotten the greatness and the grace of our Lord. Because we put our eyes on something else. We focused our minds on something else. And what we need is not something new. We've gotten gospel amnesia. And what we need to grow deeper in Christ is to remember him, to remember the gospel, and to let that renew our hearts and change our minds and change our lives in a fresh way. We, don't need, we need no other truth. We need no other Savior. We need no other King. We just need to return to Jesus every single day. Remember, Jesus is the risen King. So bow to Him. Time and time again, day after day, bow to the King. Worship. So that's the first thing he reminds Timothy of, but there's more. Look at verse 10. He says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, point number two is this. Remember, Jesus is saving the elect. Jesus is saving the elect. Paul says right here, I endure for the sake of the elect. So let's talk about that that word for a second, because we don't use the word elect a lot in our common vernacular today. In the Bible, elect simply means those who are chosen by God for salvation. Let me give you some other verses to kind of give you some context for what we're talking about here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes this. It says, even as he, God, chose us in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What Paul is saying is that in his grace, 
God chose to save some of us, the sinful, rebellious humanity, and to restore us back to a right relationship with himself. He would have been perfectly just in sending every single one of us to hell. But in his grace, he said, no, I'm going to choose to save some. Another verse, Acts 13, 48, says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. When they heard the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. His appointment of us to salvation should be an opportunity for great rejoicing and glorifying him for his mercy and his grace that has shown upon us. For giving us more than we deserve. And they rejoiced at this. Jesus himself, back in John 6, 44, says this. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. This right here is the crux. This is why God must choose us first. Because in our sinfulness, in our flesh, we would never choose God. We would never choose him on our own. And so out of his grace and his love towards us, he makes the first move. And he comes and he draws our hearts to himself so that we might obtain salvation, which is Paul says next. He says, I endure so that they may obtain salvation. Now this is also important though because although God has chosen to call some to himself for salvation, they still have to obtain it. The scriptures say that they still have to receive God's grace and salvation. They still have to believe in Jesus Christ. This is why we have great verses like you're all familiar with, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall shall not perish but have eternal life. There is a part that we do as God calls us to himself. He makes the first move, but we have to respond in belief to the gospel. Paul is reminding Timothy here that, listen, for the elect to come to faith, we have to continue to share the gospel so they might hear and respond and believe. Paul actually has a great section on this in Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, he says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Then he goes on to this. Listen here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God's gracious election to save some through faith in Jesus Christ is not an excuse for us, the church, to sit back and do nothing and just wait for God to move. If anything, it should be a motivation for us to tell everyone about Jesus because we don't know who God's calling, to tell everyone the good news of the gospel so that those who God is calling, that they can respond and have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. He goes on to tell Timothy, he says, I endure all of this so that they might obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
I love he adds that last part. Paul's like, listen, Timothy, you have to remember, eternity is on the line here. Like, this isn't just some good act. This isn't just going to help them get through the day or through life. Like, their eternity is dependent on them hearing the gospel and responding in belief in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he said, right? He said, I came to seek and save the lost, and now he has passed that job on to us. Jesus is calling us to tell others about him so that they can have eternal life in him. That's why Paul said at the beginning, he says, I endure everything. And literally, Paul was enduring everything. Prison, and pain, and suffering, and struggle, and eventually death. He says, I endure everything so that they might hear, so that they might know. And Timothy, you must do the same. Keep remembering Jesus and his mission so that he might save the elect. You know, suffering like Paul is experiencing here when he's writing this letter, suffering for the gospel, it, it, that's not just a first century thing. I think sometimes it's easy for us here in America to, to think or, you know, like that, was, that happened back then, that was a Paul thing, that was an early church thing, that's not really a, a thing anymore. But I, I did a very brief, easy Google search this week and found multiple stories of Christians today being attacked, persecuted, and killed in Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa, simply because they were bold enough to share the gospel. And it's not just those countries. Many of them, they lost their homes, they lost their livelihood, they lost loved ones. But even in Western countries, we're seeing a rising opposition to God and to his word. Again, just recently, I found stories of pastors in Sweden in Finland, in Germany, in the United Kingdom, who have all been arrested or imprisoned or fined for preaching that Jesus is the only way and we need to repent and turn from our sins. It's not just in the dark corners anymore. Even here in the United States, in just the last couple years, there have been multiple pastors who have either been threatened or sued, or even arrested for quote-unquote hate speech in preaching the gospel, speaking the truth of God's word. Now, thankfully, here in our country, most of those cases have either been overturned or thrown out, maybe even all of them. I couldn't vet all of them, but it's all according to the First Amendment. It's according to free speech, which is great. Love it. Glad we have it. But let me just tell you, church, There might be a day where we don't, and that doesn't stop us speaking the gospel. Us continuing to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ is not dependent on a right that our government says we have or don't have. But nonetheless, there is a cost involved. And for many of us, that cost is in smaller ways right now. Maybe it's the threat of some disciplinary action from HR at your job if you don't stop talking about Jesus. Maybe it's 
you know, some threat at school or a teacher who's going to embarrass you and, and make, a, make a point out of you in front of the class or take you to the dean. Maybe it's just the, the ridicule that you're scared of from your coworkers or your friends or your family that are going to mock your beliefs. And I think many of us, we, we have this mindset where we're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm living the gospel. Like, I'm, I'm living the gospel in front of them. I'm showing them the love of Jesus. I'm being kind. I'm being gracious. I'm being loving towards people. But how often are we afraid to speak? To actually say the truth of God. Afraid that we might have to endure from others if we tell them about Jesus. Or maybe, some of us, it's just the fear of looking stupid <laughs> or being embarrassed because we don't have the right answers. We don't know what, everything to say just right or we might fumble it up. And we, our pride just won't let us be embarrassed. And so we fail to speak. None of that stopped the Apostle Paul from preaching the gospel, from speaking the gospel. He was willing to endure all of it if it meant one more person would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy was starting to waffle. Timothy was starting to grow quiet. He was starting to get concerned about the ramifications of him continuing to live out his faith. But Paul is calling him back. He's saying, remember, Remember Jesus. Remember the importance of the gospel and speak before it's too late. We don't have infinite time here. Some of the people in your life have a very small window left to hear the gospel and respond with faith in Jesus Christ. So he's calling Timothy to speak up. He's calling us to speak up. So what about you? Will you remember the importance of Jesus and speak up for the gospel? Will you be bold enough to share? How much? How much are you willing to suffer now to give someone else life and eternity? Remember, Jesus is saving the elect, so speak for him. Speak the gospel. Remember that Jesus is the risen king. Remember that he is saving the elect. And then one more thing. Look at verse 11. Paul says, he says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Point number three is this. Remember Jesus is faithful to save and sentence. Jesus is faithful to save and sentence. He starts off in verse 11, he says, the saying is trustworthy. And that's kind of like a cue to tell us that, hey, the next thing, I'm, the next thing he's about to say here is some 
common saying to the people. They, they would have recognized this. It might have been an early church hymn. It might have just been like a mantra or something that they chanted together. Like it was something that they did together to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to use this now to remind Timothy of these truths. He says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now notice there, died is in the past tense. And obviously they haven't physically died yet because he's writing, okay? Like, he's still alive, Timothy is still alive. So he's not talking about a physical death, he's talking here about a spiritual death. He's reminding Timothy that when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are dying to your old self. You're dying to your sinful life. You're dying to that past part of you that loves something else more than you love Jesus. He says, remember, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. And so now, with faith in Christ, we have this promise of new life in Jesus. Promises that we will not only get to live with him here, but we'll get to live with him in eternity. In Romans chapter 6, he writes this, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul's reminding Timothy of this transfer from death to life, and that is the reality for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have come to that place where you believe in Jesus, this is you. When you repent of your sin and you turn towards Christ, the old self dies and you are given new life. And Jesus is faithful to save all who believe. He says, remember, if we died with him, we will live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. So in the, in the Greek, we call this a parallel expression, meaning that the second phrase is basically kind of a repeat of the same idea of the first phrase, although Paul puts a little twist on it here. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Paul is emphasizing here again the need to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, to persevere to the end with Jesus, just like Paul did if Timothy will endure in the faith, regardless of hardship, regardless of what it is, he will get to experience the ultimate reward in eternity. He will get to reign with Jesus Christ. We'll get to be a part of the heavenly kingdom. Because Jesus is faithful to save for all of eternity. The salvation that Jesus promises is not just for here and now. It's not just for a moment after death. It's to live and reign with him for all of eternity. Paul's reminding Timothy of these great truths of the gospel. Then he says the third phrase, he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Well, that took a little bit of a different turn. These next two phrases are going to be the negative implications of the gospel. He says, 
to deny him here means to disown him or to reject him. And Paul is describing those who reject Jesus and refuse a relationship with him. In fact, Jesus warned about this himself. Back in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone's going to make it in who thinks they're going to make it in. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then, well, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're pointing to all the stuff they did. Jesus is pointing to a relationship. You see, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to do some religious acts on Sunday. It's not enough to have enough good works on your list. You must truly repent of your sin and live for Jesus in relationship with him. If you deny that, if you deny that relationship with him, he says, if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father. Matthew chapter 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That statement should scare you to death. If Jesus denies us rather than dies for us, We will not spend eternity in heaven with God. We will spend eternity in hell separated from God. He says, if you deny him, he will deny you. And then it goes, the last phrase, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now this is another parallel passage to the one preceding it. When I was studying this week, I just want to be honest with you this morning, like, even as a pastor, man, we're not, like, perfect with the Word of God. And I had misunderstood this phrase for a long time until I was studying it this week. Right here, when he says faithless, that word means unbelief. It means to have no faith in Christ Jesus. And let me just tell you, the Scriptures are very clear that unbelief never gets a pass from God. You can't do enough good things for him to be like, oh, you didn't believe, but you're cool. Come on. You can't get prayed in by somebody else. You can't simply presume on God's grace. Like, well, he's a loving guy. I'm sure he'll let it slide this time. And yeah, just come on in doesn't work that way. Unbelief means you will be unforgiven by God. So he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. God has to remain faithful to his own character. First and foremost, our God is a holy and perfect God. He cannot allow or ignore sin. It would violate his very character as God. He is also a just God. 
who must judge rightly and punish sin and punish rebellion. And Paul says he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. This is the only thing that God can't do. The only thing that God can't do is stop being God. He can't and he won't change his character because then he would cease to be the holy, perfect God. He won't change it for you and he won't change it for me. He always remains faithful to who he is. And that's why he had to send Jesus to take the punishment for our sin and satisfy his holy judgment. So that way he could still be holy, he could still be just, but he could also be gracious and forgiving of our sin because of Jesus who took our place. God is faithful to punish unrepentant sinners. But praise the Lord. He's also faithful to save and forgive all who will repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. He is faithful to who he is. But that puts it on us to turn and repent and let him be the gracious, forgiving, saving God that he offers. Remember Jesus is faithful to save and sentence. Save and sentence. So believe in him. Paul's reminding Timothy, this is what you know, this is what you believe, and this is why you need to tell everyone So they can turn and believe as well before the sentence comes and it's too late. Remember Jesus to reverse gospel amnesia. How's your memory this morning? It's probably pretty good right now, right? We've been singing about Jesus. I've been talking to you. I've been yelling at you for like an hour now about Jesus. Like, you got it right now. Like, it's, it's in there right now. But what about tomorrow morning? What about the next day? And the next day? And the next day? Will you remember? Are you daily reminding yourself of Jesus, of the gospel that saves us? Does he... Does, he have a daily impact on your life. Not just Sundays. Not just small group time. But every day, are you remembering Jesus? We are all prone to forget. We're all prone to wander from the truth, from the gospel. And so we need these regular checkpoints to remember Jesus and to keep us walking with him in step with the gospel. Why don't we stand? I want to pray and then we're going to
have a song of response this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you, God, for once again, Lord, just bringing us into this place to worship together, to be in your presence, Lord, to remember Jesus. Thank you for reminding us this morning of your glory, of your grace, Lord, of the good news of Jesus Christ and how it has changed our lives. Lord, forgive our forgetfulness. Forgive us when we forget your grace, when we wander back into sin, into our old selves. Help us to remind ourselves of Jesus, to remind ourselves of the gospel every day so we can faithfully walk with you. Stir our hearts. Help us to fan the flame. Pray all this in Christ's name.